Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. Well, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain Claim Your Power Calls. One of the most important ideas we want to share here is that no matter our circumstances, we can choose to make the best of even challenging situations. This idea is central to the mindset that we bring to the table each day. Now, the author we're speaking with today is a good example of someone who has learned to deal with a disability and has proven resourceful, resilient, and talented as well. Our guest, Raj Lowenstein, is an accomplished author. She's written the O'Connor Sisters trilogy, Love Behind the Lies, Love Behind the Mask, and Love Behind the Silence, as well as Through the Fire. She's married with three children and three grandchildren. She's also an overcomer. So please wave your hands for Raj Lowenstein. Welcome, Raj. How are things in Bellingham today? They're wonderful. It's a beautiful sun, summer day. That's great. You Now, tell me, you haven't always been an author, have you? I mean, can you tell us about some of your other work experience? <laughs> yes. Um, I was a sign language interpreter for many years. And from there, I went into um, working for the state in the Office for Deaf of Hard of Hearing Services. Um, and that's pretty much what I did. Like a lot of people, I think I found my passion, but just later in life. <laughs> gotcha. But how did you get involved in working with the deaf? Well, my mother is deaf. And um, so that sort of brings a different perspective when you live in a a house with someone who can't hear. And so, um, and I also was losing my hearing, so I knew that my mother's fate would be my fate. So one of the things I did was I learned American Sign Language and got into the deaf community so that I would not be isolated. A lot of people who lose their hearing late in life get very isolated, and that was, my goal was not to be in that situation. So the learning the American Sign Language and getting the deaf community helped me become an American Sign Language interpreter and then working with people who were losing their hearing. And so that by the time I lost my hearing, I um, was pretty well set and, and have not been able, not been isolated. It's an interesting point you raised that if you lose your hearing late in life, it's actually very difficult to overcome that in the same way um, that, that you're able to do now. Now, you've completely lost your hearing at this point? Um, actually, I'm, <laughs> surprisingly enough, I'm profoundly deaf. Um, I do have no hearing in one ear, and the other ear I have about a 95% decibel hearing loss. However, I have really good technology. So for right now, I have a really powerful hearing aid that's paired to my phone. And also my phone is captioning what's being said. So what I don't actually hear, I, I actually get to see then. So that works really well in a situation like this. That's amazing. I didn't realize you could close caption your phone conversations. That, it's, that's it's available. 
Yeah. It is available. Well, you, I have to say, when we had our, our preliminary conversation, you really opened my eyes uh, to you know, some aspects about deafness that I did not know. Um, I think one of the big ones was the, the amount of stereotype we have on TV about deafness that is not correct. Uh, for example, you told me that all, all people do not read lips. <laughs> that no. is a common misunderstanding. Can you elaborate on that? I absolutely. All right. So uh, if a person is hard of hearing and they have, whether they have hearing aids or cochlear implants, then what they're doing is they're filling in the blanks when they, when they speech read, which is what they call hearing, uh, lip reading now. So if a person has uh, some sort of hearing, they're able to put everything together. But people who are born deaf, they have no um, auditory memory of what the patterns of the mouth look like. So it's, hard, it's very difficult to, to speech read. The interesting thing is I can... I can, if anyone says, do you read lips? Yes, I can read that because I've seen that my entire life. But um, as I had told you the other day is that really only 30% of English is on the mouth. So even someone who has trained all their life to be uh, a, a, a lip reader, they're, they're only getting about 30% of what's being said, and the rest they're filling in the blank for context. So that makes it really hard for someone who has a profound hearing loss because they're not getting the clues that having some ability to hear uh, would fill in. I found something else interesting in what you said, that now with masks everywhere, uh, you're, people are even losing that 30%. And I had to laugh. We, we were scouting a location the other day. I was out with several of my coworkers. We were all wearing our masks, as we've been requested to. And we had a terrible time hearing one another because they, they didn't realize it, but they were reading lips in, to some capacity. And taking the 30% of that away, it was much harder. We had to speak much louder just to... Uh, to communicate absolutely uh, and it absolutely in fact mm -hmm. i my math says i'm deaf if i don't answer it's because i because i didn't hear you <laughs> okay <laughs> now um you're a very clear speaker which i assume is because you you lost your hearing gradually um but you still you still have an interpreter to help you at times um i think uh why is that? Um, well, actually, when you think about it, um, trying to hear what people are saying and trying to put it together with what people are saying on their mouth, it's very exhausting. If you can, it's just incredibly exhausting. So for me, because I'm a fluent signer, um, American Sign Language, for me to have an interpreter there takes all that pressure off of trying to figure out what's being said. And so really, for me, it's like having someone give me that same information in my own native language. If you can imagine someone who speaks more than one language, maybe their, their first language is Spanish. And so when they're learning English, maybe they have difficulty and they have that bridge. And so an American Sign Language interpreter for me takes all that pressure off of the, 
possibility of misunderstanding what people are saying or most often just having no clue what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I do an author's event um, where I'm actually in out in the public, where I'm actually interacting with people, I will have an American Sign Language interpreter. It's just easier for me to know what's going on. In the conversation, certainly. What, right. Uh, was it was it hard for you to learn the language of signing? I mean, I know my my first husband and I used to sign the alphabet to one another. That we thought that was so neat, but but that's as far as I got. And I I'm sure there's a lot more vocabulary and other things that are involved in sign. Right, and of course, American Sign Language is not English, and so um, a lot of times when I taught classes in American Sign Language, that's the first thing I say. It's not English. It's not related to English. So if you thought this would be an easy class, you're wrong because you're going to go through the same thing if you were taking a a class in Japanese. You have to let go of the English. Luckily for me, I grew up speaking English and Spanish. So I was able to already have the ability to let go of the English, um, which helped me learn another language. Now, now I know that that you also told me that sign incorporates syntax and grammar through body language, facial expressions. Um, like I think you said curling the lips. It's, they're the adjectives and the adverbs uh, that, that people need. And, uh, you know, sign, if you're signing, you, and people don't notice that. They don't see it. They just completely miss it. Yeah. Most of your... Um not all, of course, like most language that has their exceptions, but your adjectives and your adverbs are typically on your face or your body, and it's not necessarily in the signs that you're signing. Um, and sometimes um, even a sign is not even a sign. It's maybe a, a twitching of the lip or a, a wrinkling of the nose or uh, putting, a, making a, putting your chin on your, uh, your shoulder. That all has meaning. And, of course, as you're learning American Sign Language and you become more as a fluid person, then that becomes more natural. But for a lot of people, that's just really weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, did were your children old enough to watch you go through this education process in signing? Yes. Actually, I actually started taking language classes when I was about 16, but I really didn't get into it until I was in my 30s, actually. And um, my early 30s, and by that time, my kids were between elementary and high and middle school. So they were able to, to do that. And, of course, like most parents who have, you know, speak a different language, they want to teach their children that language. And, of course, my children had no desire to learn. Now they regret it, but back then they didn't care. <laughs> right. That, that's something mom does, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Now, everything we've been discussing actually plays into your books. In Through the Fire, the main character is death. She signs. Uh, is this something you do in all your books? I mean, use your characters to introduce us to different kinds of people or t- different kinds of situations? Yes, it is, actually. Um, a lot of people... A lot of times when people with disabilities are represented in a book, it's sometimes a caricature of what the, I use the word 
with the air quote, normal people, how they perceive a disability. And so now maybe um, in, in Through the Fire, the main character is actually mute and she signs. However, um, the other people around her also sign. So it, it does have a very um, depth-centric sort of undertone because you see how things are from a different perspective, from, not from a hearing perspective, but from a deaf person's perspective. Um, and also with um, – so that was very interesting and how to, how to do that and so that it came across in a way that hearing people aren't like, oh, that's just weird. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. Being weird when it, it, because initially it's something weird, and then you go, oh, I get it now, because they have some sort of exposure to it. So in each of my books, um, actually Through the Fire, and then also um, uh, Love Behind the Silence, which is the last book of the trilogy, is very deaf-centric. The characters are deaf, and there's a lot of the the stories that are told by the perception of the deaf people, which is opposite of what normally happens. Well, I I imagine people don't know, and so they don't they don't even know how to begin to communicate it. Where I whereas you are intimately familiar with it, but that's not the only group of people that you talk about. I think you have. Um, some LGBTQ characters yes. that are in your books. Um, um, and, that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's because that's my family. That's what I. That's I know these people, and they're part of my life. And so they also populate the people in my books. Um, and they're always a positive character. They're um, never never a caricature, and um, because that's the people who populate. So you know, you write what you know. Mm-hmm. I know that community. Absolutely. And so now I you also them. Go ahead. in their normal. You put them in their normal, um, how they would normally react to things. So right. not you have situational diversity. You also have ethnic diversity. I do. <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, I even though I'm pretty much Scott Scott um, Scott Irish. Um, uh, blue eyes and red hair. Um, my family is not. <laughs> There's you name it. We have we have them. They're all colors in my family, uh, all ethnicity. And again, like the um, the um, GLBTQ people, they're also um, Korean and and Hispanic and African American, um, Jewish. So that's two people who populate my book as well. Mhm. Mhm. Now, at what point did you start to write? Well, um I started writing Through the Fire while I was at Gallaudet University for a semester. And that was back in 2004. And I was there for a semester and of course I was an older student uh in a place I had never been before. And so I did a little bit of out but for the most part, I stayed in my room and studied. <laughs> when I didn't, I just I wrote through the fire. So I actually wrote the whole book pretty much in in the three and a half months I was there. And then I sat on it for ten years. Um, and what brought it out? I mean, what what made you <laughs> finally decide to publish it? 
Well, I have a friend um, that writes uh, children's educational books. And I was talking about my Through the Fire, and I was really excited about how well it read and people uh, that I had given it to thought it was a wonderful book. Why wasn't I published? And he looked at me and he said, what are you afraid of? And it really took me back because I, I had to think, was I really, was I afraid of something? What was I afraid of if I was afraid of something? And I realized that um, I didn't think I was actually afraid of anything. And, and my friend told me, he said, they can only tell you no or yes. So you really have nothing to lose. And you definitely have nothing to lose if you don't try to get it published. And so it was the, on the encouragement of a friend who knew what he was talking about <laughs> that I thought, I'm going to do this. And I did. And that's awesome. That's such an accomplishment. To people really look at you differently when you're an author. It gives you some sort of credibility or you know, special skill that they really respect so that it's a, it's a fabulous thing to do and accomplish. Um, now, I gather you're also the master of the surprise ending. <laughs> was that, that was my evil laugh. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, um, through the fire, um, one of the comments that I get over and over again is that they read it and they get to the ending and they go, what did I miss? I, I must have missed something. And they go back and they read it again to see what they missed. And uh, I think I did it right. They didn't miss anything. Uh, uh, and uh, so I'm always excited when someone says, I just didn't see that coming at all. I just never in a million years thought it was going to end that way. And it's like, yes, I did my job. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> now, you self-published, correct? But, but you used yes. an editor. How was that experience? Um, well, it's very interesting because um, the first time I sent um, a manuscript to the publisher to get uh, to the editor to edit, um, he had it for about three weeks and he, he sent it back and I see all this correcting on it. And it really sort of pulled the carpet out from under me for about three and a half weeks, maybe because I just was so like, wow. How could he not like that? You know, that you know. And then when I realized, one of the things I, my husband said to me, he says, "You paid the man to do a job. You know, why mm-hmm. are you upset that?" And I said, "Oh, okay. Well, I get it. I get it. It's just, it was just weird to have someone and, and go. You know what? This doesn't make any sense. When, when as a writer, you read things over and over and over again, and and a lot of times." In your head, you know what it's supposed to say. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. you read something and it makes very much sense to you. But as an, edit- an editor will go and say, this does not make any sense at all. This is what you need to do to fix it. Um, and so after the first time that I, my first manuscript I sent to him, the subsequent manuscripts were like, okay, let's see what we did. And I was able to then use this wonderful tool an editor is, to mm-hmm. to really make my, my my books very readable and make sense. Um, but it wasn't initially, it was very shocking that 
what I thought I had written beautifully was written well, but not beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he didn't make you tear it up and start over again. No, no. And I, I you know, if that had been the case, we, we, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that could be true. Well, where do listeners go to find your books? I mean, are, and what genre do you consider them? Are they thrillers, romances, detective novels? Where where do they fall? Sure. So, um, Through the Fire is a romantic thriller. Uh, the uh, O'Connor Sisters trilogy is just your, your staple romance. Um, uh and then uh, a, a new series that I'm working on will also be then a romantic thriller. Uh, okay. I, I like I like those romantic thrillers. Um, and all of my books are available uh, through Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And um, I'll give you my web website. And of course, there's always a link to any of those Barnes and Noble or or Amazon to the actual books if you wanted to do that. They're also in paperback and um, ebook. Uh, many mm-hmm. people like mm-hmm. ebooks, so I make sure that you know the ebooks are available. Which is good. So many people do that. Do you have it out on audio? I do not have it on audio yet. That is something. My my sister in law is. Uh, travels a lot for business and she's like I love you I'm sure your books are wonderful but until I can plug it into my DVD player in my car I'm not going to be reading them so mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is something on my list I think that's really true in today's society the kids are running or they're you know they're engaged in some sporting activity and and getting their reading quote-unquote reading um, while they're running with audio so it's really a a useful tool and I think much bigger than anybody realized it was going to be. Um, Are there, are there any special thoughts you want to share about your books that uh, will entice readers to check them out? I, I like to, I would like to say that first of all, they read fast. They are not, and they're 300 pages, but they, they read quickly. They don't drag on. But also, I think that if you're not familiar with deaf people or, or you may not, um, it, my books pop, are populated by people who are around you and that you are love and you work with and you see all the time. And uh, I like the fact that, um, I, and I like to think that my books really do represent well what America is. It, we're, we're a big melting pot, and there's a little bit of everybody that are all different colors and flavors, and, and that's wonderful. And, and my books are good stories. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Um, they're good stories. And you, at the end, you like the way those characters are, and you want to go back and, and maybe read them again or wonder what happened to them after – you close that book for that uh, after that last page. Mhm, mhm. I think that's important when you you grow so fond of a character that you can't wait till the next book comes out or you can find the next one in the store. I imagine that's what the trilogy has provided a lot of opportunity for people to continue. Yeah, absolutely. Mhm. Well, that's that's really. Uh, I you know I I know myself that I 
little did I know that I would become a Game of Thrones fan, but I uh, had a, I mean, having to wait a year for those books and and move you know the next series to come out was so painful. So that I read both when I when I wasn't on TV, I was reading the book. They're also big books, and yeah. so that it, it for you know for full eight years I was filled with material on that series. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I know well how much people want to have that connection with characters. So kudos to you for creating that kind of content. Well, thank you for being with us, Raj. I mean, let's remind our readers that we're talking about your book, Through the Fire, and your other publication as well. Uh, and can and you, as you've told us, they're available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, on your website. Uh, pretty yes, much and I'd love to books are sold. Yeah. Yes, and I would love to give you my website real quick. Oh yes, please. Yes, it's all one word: R A J. L O W E N S T E I N dot net. So it's Raj Lowenstein, one word, dot net. Dot net. That's the, that's the tricky part. People have to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to the listeners who've joined us today. Remember, nothing supports the work of authors better than picking up a copy of their books. You can also support the work of this program by going over to anchor.fm forward slash Susan dash Shereko to sponsor the podcast, train your brain, claim your power in some way and talk us up, especially if you know someone who would enjoy the range of content that we present here. If you have somebody, some topic or another author that you'd like us to, to meet and talk with, then please contact me directly at Susan at Susan com. So thank you again for being with us, Raj. Thank you. I was a pleasure. Likewise for me. Okay, it's time to go, everyone. Bye for now, and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.